So this morning, um, kind of in the grown-up extension of, of Mr. Ken's message, we want to ask this question. Can Christians use violence to bring change? There's a few things uh, that you, there's a lot of ways you could go with that. I want to tell you some things we're not going to uh, touch on today. Uh, we're not going to talk about personal self-defense today. We're not talking about that kind of violence. Uh, we're not talking about gun ownership Um, We're not talking about declared wars and declared revolutions. Those are all things we have talked about before. If you'd like to hear what we did say about those topics, I'll direct you to to our podcast, uh, Difficult Questions, Should Christians Use Violence in Self-Defense? That was January 29th of 2017, if you want to look that up on the website. Today, I want to talk more about what we have seen uh, starting last summer and continuing even to today. I want to talk about marches, demonstrations, boycotts, rallies, uh, the destruction of property and statues and community and national symbols. I want to talk about those things. Can Christians participate in that kind of violence and destruction to bring change? Um, Now, as I started to try to think of examples of what we would be talking about, I found in my own heart that my feelings about whether something is a protest for freedom or a criminal riot tended to just go with my personal sympathy for the cause. I didn't like noticing that, but once I started looking at examples, that's that's what I noticed, is it just went with my personal sympathy for the cause. So let me show you some of the examples I looked at, and just look in your own heart and see if as you're deciding, is that a criminal action or is that a fighting for freedom, if it doesn't just go with how you feel about the cause in question. See what you find. So here a few years ago um, are some Ukrainian protesters, and they, see what I already called them? All right, so here's some Ukrainians pulling down a statue of the communist leader Lenin. So is that a criminal riot or is that a a voice of freedom? Uh, What about these German uh, citizens who are taking hammers to the Berlin Wall? Is that criminal property destruction or is that uh, a a protest and a a statement about freedom? Um, What about these guys? Throwing tea in the Boston Harbor they didn't even pay for. And what about this guy in uh, John chapter 2? It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get this out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. But then what about the 1938 German nationalist who went around and broke all the windows in every Jewish-owned business in town and set fire to over 45 uh, Jewish synagogues during the Kristallnacht? Or how do you feel when the KKK sets fire to a black church? Or in history when the Confederate militia burns Lawrence, Kansas and kills 150 men and boys? So do you feel yourself kind of jumping back and forth on how you slot these into categories? Just based on personal sympathy for the cause. Well, we're not here to sort out personal sympathies. 
You know, you don't come to church for your pastor to tell you why their personal sympathies are right and, and yours need a few adjustments. Um, we, come, we come to hear a word from the Lord, we hope. Guidance from Scripture for living, we hope, under the authority of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to do. We want to ask the question, should Christians participate in violent and destructive protests in order to bring about change? And I'm not going to hold you in suspense the whole time. I'll just tell you right now what we're going to say. We're going to say three things. We're going to say, number one, we don't have from Scripture a hard rule for how Christians should act in protest. I will show you why that is. And then two, that there are some violent and destructive behaviors that are clearly out of bounds for Christians. And so we can't participate in them. And then number three, we need to spend more time seriously considering all the power that nonviolence has. Because that's the legacy that Jesus really gives us. And so there they are, one, two, three. And so let's dive in. Number one, we said we don't have a hard rule for Christians acting in protest. I don't have a Bible verse for you. When you protest or when you boycott or when you rally or when you march, you know, you shall do this. The reason why we don't have this is because in the Roman Empire, uh, gathering for any reason, especially against the government, was uh, very illegal and could get you killed. There are riots in the New Testament, but it does not go well for those who participate. And so uh, Christians who were already a minority and had enough problems just didn't do it. So Paul didn't write them any letters on how to go about it or how not to. So when there's a call, but now, see, we live in a free society where we can do this, and it's one of our valued freedoms. So now we have to come together as a church, basically case by case, each instance, each cause. We have to come together and discern as brothers and sisters, what will we do? What will we not do? How will we speak? What will we, how will we not speak? Um, so some of the protests that happened last year. During the summer, some folks from our congregation participated in various ways. And we were all on the phone through the week between elders and congregants talking about which uh, protests would we go to, which ones would we not go to. Well, what actions would we take part in, what actions would we not take part in. Many conversations, uh, especially during that uh, second week. And that's the right way to do it. And we'll just have to keep doing that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because on this issue, uh, we're so historically different from the scriptures and what we're allowed to do and how it turns out. that We don't have a hard and fast scripture, but we always have the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so that is what we'll do. Number two, there are some violent and destructive behaviors clearly out of bounds for Christians. And so we cannot participate in them. And here, here some of them are. Killing people. Now, we're not talking today, as we said, about declared wars and revolutions. That's for another time and just war theory in the church. And we've talked about those things many times. And we will in the future, I'm sure. But uh, talking about protesting for causes and social change. Uh, Christians cannot take to the streets and kill people. It's not an act we can participate in. Summary executions without due process on the street corner, shooting into crowds, firebombing houses and, and businesses, uh, hitting police officers with objects. Um, it's, uh, it's, those are not our ways. And, and we, can't, we can't do those things. Uh, destroying the property of innocent bystanders because we are enraged. So national symbols, community symbols, a statue of Lenin. I'll be honest, I kind of wish I was there. Lenin's not my favorite. But we're talking about, um, and that's my bias, right? But we're talking about privately owned 
businesses of bystanders because we are enraged. Um, There were a lot of mom and pop businesses that were completely destroyed last year. Uh, Many of them black owned in in urban areas. And and that's not something that Christians can be a part of. Um, We can talk about statues and government buildings and things when the cause comes to us. But some old lady's candy store, we can't do that. We can't do that. Looting and stealing during a protest. When Christians protest, we can't be there also for personal gain. If anything, once we've left the area, people ought to be impressed by what we could have done but didn't do. It strengthens our cause. It strengthens the credibility of our voice. And it takes away their power to label us as common criminals. Because what we were there for protesting, we protested. And they can't say, no, they were really just there to collect flat screen TVs. So we take away their ability to label us and dismiss us when we don't engage in those sorts of things. If it is determined that Christians will take part in some sort of violent or destructive act, and that's a huge if, but if the church comes together and determines that we will, it needs to be led and organized. Someone is planning and is in charge. It can't be part of an undisciplined mob. There needs to be a a Continental Congress, a Martin Luther King Jr., someone defining and enforcing and preparing us for the boundaries of the actions we're going to take part in. Think about what we saw last year where this wasn't practiced. Um, In the Capitol building, we saw a a mob surge in and breach uh, into the Capitol. Now, what happened next is very interesting. Some just walked between the ropes like they were on an after-hours tour of the Capitol, sightseeing. Some jumped the ropes, but then they just sat on the floor and smoked a joint so they could have that story to share with their grandkids. Um, But others were running around with zip cuffs, right, chanting, where's Mike Pence, and erecting a hanging gallows on the Capitol lawn. This is what you get with an undisciplined mob. You just kind of get this muddy picture of a little bit of everything. In the Black Lives Matter protest last summer, we saw folks uh, kneeling in solidarity for the death of George Floyd. And some of them, we saw police kneeling with them. Um, But then we also saw people taking hammers to cash registers in Target. It makes it very hard to sort out what's really going on. The biggest failing of many of the left-wing and right-wing protests we've seen in the last year is a lack of clear leadership and real goals. Because imagine this scenario. What if someone in the, in the authorities in charge had said, you know what, you may have a point. Let's sit down and talk. Who would they have been sitting down with? And what clear list of demands for change would they have been given? And, and who or when were those drawn up? You see the problem? Now, I want to say that it is all right to have empathy for why people would become so fearful or so angry or frustrated or all three that they would participate in things like we have seen. In fact, I believe you, you have to come to that place of empathy if you want to have a ministry to those folks. If you want to share with them the way of Jesus, you'll, you'll have to have some empathy to understand why they got to that place. But it's not a place that we can go and it's not a place that we can condone and sign off and, and approve of. Too many people are, are hurt in it. And, and too much other bad stuff happens on the back side of it. Uh, we also need to be more understanding that, that the way of nonviolence that Jesus brings us 
If you haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't make sense. It just sounds weak and ineffective. So we have to uh, understand that people aren't going to come to... Nonviolence is the least likely conclusion you would come to when you feel oppressed. So it takes some teaching and some example from our living and history to help people come to that place. But it is not a place we can go. So those are the first two. Now this third one is where I think the real power is. That we need to spend more time seriously considering all of the power that exists in nonviolence. And we could talk about Gandhi and we could talk about Martin Luther King Jr. But since both of them said they got their ideas from the same man, we'll talk about that man. And that man is Jesus. Luke chapter 6 is a great example. Jesus says, but to those of you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. These words have had an undisputed power to bring great changes in our society and other societies around the world. Where does that power come from? So I can't explain all the mysteries of this, of this uh, power of nonviolence that Jesus brings us, but I've grabbed a few through time, so I'll just share those. Uh, first, nonviolence clearly reveals good and evil. Where good and evil is muddy and unclear, nonviolence unmasks it and makes it clear for all to see. So in 1965, some of you saw this, some of you were there. Um, in 1965, um, Martin Luther King Jr. and some protesters are marching to the Capitol in Alabama to protest for voters' rights legislation. At a bridge in Selma, a group of white men stopped them and said, this march is disbanded, you'll go no further. And so the protesters knelt on the bridge and prayed and sang a hymn, for which they were attacked. They were ridden down by horses, tear gas canisters were fired on them, they were struck with whips. Uh, within three days, two or three of them would be dead. And folks watched this on live TV and said, now wait, is this what's been going on? I mean, I've been hearing a lot about this, and I've been hearing that it's two-sided, I've been, but, but I'm seeing with my own eyes that those folks are just kneeling and praying and dying. This is what it's been about? All right then. And within a few weeks, voters' rights legislation was passed. Uh, same thing happened in India when Indian protesters had sit in in a public square and British forces fired on them and killed several women and children. And folks said, oh, I see. I see now who the good guys and bad guys are. Clearly, and India is now free. 
you always have to think of the Nazis. There was a lot of sympathy at first. If you know the treaty said they couldn't have an army, they relented. It said, let them have an army. It's, it, it, that wasn't fair. Even though the treaty said they couldn't go on the Rhineland, we said, well, it's kind of German. Maybe they have a right. Then we let them take Czechoslovakia. Then when they rolled into Poland, it becomes clear, all right, they're just going to take all of Europe. And then, of course, the Holocaust, where six million Jews and four million others uh, go to violent and horrible deaths almost entirely without resisting. And now, because of that nonviolent resistance, there's one thing everyone in the world knows you can't be, a Nazi. If you're doing anything the Nazis did, it's looked on with suspicion. And it's because of all the violence that they did against folks who pretty much did not resist at all has made it clear who the good guys and who the bad guys are. And this all reflects the New Testament relationship that Christians had with the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul wrote to uh, his church in Rome, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. He's quoting Jesus now. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. If you want to do a whole Bible study on Paul and his advice for interacting with the Romans, uh, there's that scripture plus Romans 13.1, 1 Timothy 2.1, 1, Titus 3.1, 1 Peter 2.13, Mark 12.17, Matthew 22.21, Luke 20.25. 20, and if you want some contra- contrary verses that seem to say the opposite, you, know, you always have to have those in Bible study. Try Acts 4.19 and 5.29. But here's a fact. Christians did not rise up in rebellion against the Roman Empire. The only book of the New Testament that even talks badly about the Roman Empire is the Revelation. And it does it so in veiled symbols. And when you decipher those symbols, the message always comes out that the evil of the Roman Empire will destroy itself. And Christ will then reign over that empire. And that's exactly what happened. Rome rotted from within until it could not collapse but from pressure on the outside. And it became the Holy Roman Empire because Christ did eventually reign over it. It was corrupted later, but let's roll back to the part of history where it supports the sermon. All right. I just try to be real. So it all happened, and that's the best reason to keep Revelation in our Bible. It's a prophecy that has come, in, has come true. And it continues to instruct us on how to interact with uh, oppressors and enemies. So that's one of the powers of nonviolence. Another power of nonviolence, it avoids an escalation of fear. I found in my life, in observing the world, that fear often produces the very thing we're afraid of. You're afraid that something will happen. You react out of fear. You actually cause it to happen faster than it would have. Uh, consider the, the protests of last summer. They were protesting for the unjust killing of black people. But, what, but, but the way the protest was carried out, what was the most immediate result? A huge proliferation in the purchase of guns by white and black purchasers. The violence they protested against, the way the protest was carried out, makes that very violence more likely than it was before with the huge proliferation of weapons. 
The folks who breached the Capitol, what were they fearful of? Government control. That the government was dishonestly manipulating everything, including our own votes and elections. But the way that they breached the Capitol and the things that went on in there, what was the most immediate really re- result? Police forces everywhere purchasing facial recognition software. There's more sales of facial recognition software after January 6th than there's ever been before. So because they want to be able to respond if that event should happen in our town. So the very government control they feared, their tactics, has led to that more likely to be used. Whereas after executing Jesus, the Romans did not even bother to seek out the rest of his followers. From the Roman viewpoint, they hadn't been violent. They were barely interested in executing Jesus, but it looked like a good way to prevent a riot. But as far as tracking down the rest of his followers, they saw no reason to do that. There'd never been an escalation of fear. Roman persecution of Christians really doesn't begin until 35 years after Jesus. And even then, it's pretty much just in Rome. Now it's a big one because we lost Peter and Paul in that one. But the widespread empire-wide persecution of Christians that you hear about really didn't begin until 200 years after Jesus. Because his nonviolence didn't escalate things. Uh, nonviolence doesn't make regrettable mistakes. This is another great power. Nonviolent means never has to look back and apologize for an accidental shooting. Or because we bombed a building and we're so sorry we didn't realize that there were children there after hours. Nonviolent protests never have to make those kind of retractions. And uh, between services, someone shared that nonviolence also demonstrates a new way of life, a new way of living, a new type of power to the world um, that still brings change, but doesn't bring death and destruction and fear. So again, we did not address personal self-defense this morning. And we didn't address gun ownership and we did not address declared wars and revolutions. There's a a past podcast. We want to hear what we do say about those things. What we did say this morning is that we don't have a hard and fast rule for how Christians uh, behave in a protest. Um, We have to discern that together as a church when the cause is before us and the circumstances are around us and we seek the spirit and we come together. Uh, Two, there are some violent and destructive behaviors that are clearly out of bounds for us Christians, and we went through what those were. Um, it's okay to have empathy and to understand why people go to those means. If we're going to minister to them, we have to understand where their fear, anger, frustration comes from. But then we've got to take into that these ways of Jesus and this new power. And that's the third thing is we want to spend more time seriously considering all the power of nonviolence. That is truly the spiritual legacy that Jesus gives us. That's one of the new things he brings. And you see it on the cross when he willingly goes to death. But through that death, saves the world from sin, from hell, from the grave. And brings us salvation and eternal life. What more powerful demonstration do we need? Let us pray. Lord, we live in a world in turmoil and confusion. We live in a world that does not know you or know your ways. We pray, Lord, that we will answer the call to be a herald of your love 
your mercy, your forgiveness. Lord, that love for enemies has the power to change hearts. Father, we actually don't even have to look at folks as enemies because of you. We can look at them as lost brothers and sisters who can be converted and changed, who can also take on the message of love. Help us to answer that call. We pray for our world. We pray we can be your church in this world, salt and light. It's the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.